So in, uh, in Alice Through the Looking Glass, the White Queen says to Alice, I'm just 101 five months in a day. She had a birthday. Thank you for mine last week, by the way. I'm three score five in a week. <laughs> but she said, I, I'm, I'm just 101 five months in a day. And here's, here's how it reads from, uh, from Through the Looking Glass. I can't believe that, said Alice. Can't you? The queen said in a pitying tone, try again. Draw a long breath and shut your eyes. <laughs> Alice laughed. There's no use trying, she said. One can't believe in impossible things. I dare say you haven't had much practice, said the queen. When I was your age, I always did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I've believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. <laughs> so you read that, on the one hand, uh, Alice seems reasonable and the queen seems ridiculous. But what if you knew that Alice had already seen a white rabbit dressed in a waistcoat and carrying a pocket watch? She had already taken advice from a caterpillar smoking a, smoking a pipe of some kind. She had made friends with a grinning and disappearing cat. She had attended a tea party with a mad hatter and a mouse and a March hare. She had played croquet using flamingos and hedgehogs instead of mallets and croquet balls. Well, that's five things. Okay, well, she's, she'd also seen chess pieces walking around on a giant chessboard. So there's so there's six. Every one of those things seemed quite impossible. So but still Alice says she says that one cannot believe impossible things. But here if Alice had known that she was a character in a story and that that story had an author and he, the author for her, determines what's real, what's possible. Uh, the author writes what he writes. He writes a story as he sees fit. If she'd have known that, she would have known that apparently impossible things can, are, are become entirely possible. She would have known she had to broaden her perspective in that because she'd, she'd already seen a whole lot that suggests that her sense of the possible bears little resemblance to her actual experience. So, you know, where's this going? You know, you didn't come here to, to hear Lewis Carroll, you know, 19th century, late 19th century uh, story. There, if you haven't guessed already, there's an author greater than Lewis Carroll, greater than Charles Dickens or William Shakespeare, or Jane Austen, or, or whoever you want to name, that because when a human author uh, creates a character or when he creates a scene, it exists only in his mind and in the minds of his readers. They kind of create a world that you know they invite readers to come into and, and see. If he wants to create a world of hobbits and elves and wizards, there they are. Um, but it you know doesn't have any material existence, of course. It exists in Tolkien's mind and the minds of his readers, right? Invites you into this world. If, he, if the human author wants to create a, 
a uh, Connecticut, he wants to put a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court. That's what he does. And that's where he is. And we, he invites us into that world, that imaginary world. And, and uh, that's Mark Twain, by the way, of course. But it's, it exists only in the author's mind and, the, and in the reader's minds. But there is an author, of course, whose central and most powerful medium is, is not the written word. Not his most powerful one. His, his most powerful and amazing medium, his, his magnum opus, is how he puts forward a story using not just a pen and a paper and our imaginations, but time and space and history. <laughs> In other words, real time, real material existence Real human history. In other words, when this author has an idea of a thing, it actually comes into being. He speaks. He speaks, and something happens. He says, let there be light, and there's light. God spoke, and it was so. You know, you read Genesis... He spoke and it happened. He spoke and it happened. He spoke and it happened again and again and again. And it was good. That's how the story starts. And God's story, the story God tells, the story God creates, is, is really becomes history. You know, there's that, it's kind of a, you know, history, his story. Well, really, history is his story. And you and I are in the story. You and I play a part. You and I have a role. You, me, everyone we know, everyone we have known, everyone we will ever know, fits into the storyline somehow. The bottom line being a vessel of God's grace and forgiveness and salvation or as a demonstration of his righteousness and judgment against sin. And since God is the author of the story, all things are possible. Uh, Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Well, it seems impossible to us. I've read commentaries and things. Well, the, they said, well, there's a certain gate that's they called the eye of a needle, you know, and a camel would have to get down and scrunch through. I don't think that's what the I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. There's a certain gate that's really. I don't think it's the idea is that a rich man has to get down and scrunch through, and it's it's kind of hard, but it's not impossible. He's talking about something impossible. It seems impossible for us for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle like a thread does. Why is it so? So he says it, that's, that's comparable to a rich man entering the kingdom of, uh, of God. Why, why is that so? Why, why is that so? Well, he doesn't explain it very precisely you know he's not very outward about it but it surely seems that that the rich don't naturally don't feel a sense of need a sense of dependency a moral poverty that would help them see themselves as someone in need 
someone who needs a savior, someone who needs salvation. And I think what Jesus is saying, it takes a supernatural revelation from God for rich people like us to recognize our neediness, our uh, poverty, our need for the savior. You say rich people like us. Well, I'm speaking of in historical standards, worldwide standards. You know, we may not be rich in comparison with other people that we know, but we're, but we're rich by, uh, by other means. And you know what they say, uh, people who have money pretend they don't, and people that don't pretend they do. But he says, and, and the scripture goes on to tell us, he said, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, well, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. The, the mother of the Lord, Mary, asked the angel how she would bear a child since she was a virgin. The angel Gabriel told her, nothing will be impossible with God. See, as soon as you recognize that God is the author of the story that we call history, that God's the author of it, the one whose word calls things into being, the one whose purposes cannot be thwarted in Job, the one whose word is final in all things, that impossible category withers down so that at the end, really, all the thing is in it in that category of the impossible are things that are contrary to his will, contrary to his purposes, contrary to his nature. That's all that's left. So, so I want to, after Lewis Carroll, after Alice, I want, after the queen, the white queen, I want to pose six impossible things to believe, not before breakfast, we've already had breakfast, but before lunch today. You know, open people open their heart, open their eyes, even really to your own experience. Because you know, if Alice had kind of seen her own experience, just remember what you've been through lately. She wouldn't say it's imp oh, it's impossible for one to believe impossible things. <laughs> First, that there is a Creator who is not and could not be contained by the material universe. This is foundational to all the rest, of course. You know what? What profound words the Bible begins with? In the beginning, God. That right there is a deal breaker for those who are mired in some kind of shriveled up, desiccated, you know, uh, made small idea of what is possible. That's small. Big category of impossible. If, if, you're, if you're old like me, you can remember reports of Soviet cosmonauts mocking the idea of God's existence from space. You remember that? We saw reports of it. It's kind of disputed whether the, whether the cosmonauts all actually said that. Maybe some of the Khrushchev and some of the leaders said that they, that they didn't see God up there. But, you know, we had reports of the cosmonauts up in space saying... Well, we don't see him anywhere. He's not up here. You remember that? If you're old like me, you do. You know, I, I, you, know you have to remember that uh, for anyone who's uh, 26 years or uh, 
26 years old or younger, there has never, ever been a Soviet Union. Now, <laughs> it's not existed in their lifetimes. But if, but, and, they're, and they're half the world's population. But, by the way, if you're, if you're, old, if you're older and you remember a Soviet Union, do you remember how unthink, unthinkable it was that there, there wouldn't be one? It seemed impossible, didn't it? <laughs> seemed impossible. Khrushchev said, we'll bury you. He thought, well, maybe. <laughs> but, how, but the Soviet cosmonauts saying, looking out there, getting up in space and saying, he's not up here. We looked all over for him. He's not up here. Where is he? How foolish to think that God could be found as some sort of object within the creation. It's like, now you know what, here's the thing that comes to me that, that reminds me of. It seems to me it's like the Mona Lisa, you know, the, the person in the painting, not the person who lived in history, but the actual, that painting. They're like the Mona Lisa doubting the existence of Leonardo da Vinci who painted it because she cannot see him anywhere within the frame of that picture. She looks up, there's a wooden frame, wooden frame, wooden frame. He ain't here. <laughs> King David wrote, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. Those are those words. This isn't, there are little, it's not, David is not saying, there are little hints of that there might be a creator out there. That's not his language. The heavens declare the glory. They shout it. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. And just like it's an old illustration, but it's, it's, it's powerful. You can update it if you want to, but just like the, a watch, a wristwatch, testifies powerfully to the existence of a watchmaker somewhere, some, sometime, someone did this. The universe displays the handiwork of God, and it's great, and it's good. On, de, on December 24th, 1968, there were three other astronauts, first manned mission to the moon. So they, they were seeing the same things that the cosmonauts, the, 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 the same things they saw, even greater things, even greater things, because they had gone further. December 24th, they had a, they had a message that they addressed, they broadcast. And you know they broadcast to? To all the people of the earth. You're Americans, but they addressed it to all the people. We have a message for all the people of the earth. And you remember, I don't know if you remember this, the message began. Here's how they began. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's Genesis 1, of course. And then each of the three, they took turns reading three or four verses, uh, two or three or four verses apiece. They ended with verse 10, Genesis 1. They ended with the words, and God saw that it was good. And they closed their message with, to all the people of the earth, God bless all of you, all of you on the good earth. Saw the same thing. <laughs> 
and this, this seems impossible to some people. It seems impossible. How could you believe something like that? That there's a creator that's not contained, it cannot be contained by or in his creation, in the material world. It's not impossible. It's not impossible at all. Believe it. There is a creator. The second impossible thing to believe before lunch, a creator made man in his own image and likeness as the capstone of his creation to rule over it, to care for it, to flourish in it. Here's Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. What, what profound words and, and how controversial to many this is just that passage right there. The idea that, that man has been set, that he has a correspondence to God that is shared by no other kind of creature, the image of God. And that he has been placed in this world to, to master it, to rule over it, to manage it. It's just... To, to many, it's just transparently unbelievable and, and impossible. The, the very idea that man is set apart from all other life forms and is not just something that's risen higher from a primordial prebiotic soup and we rose higher than, than others. No. The Bible says... That, there's a, that there is a correspondence with God has been conferred on us from above. It's not us advancing up. It's God reaching down and blessing us with a, with a correspondence to Him that is shared by no other creature. More like Him. No, I'll say that. Like Him. Not more like Him. Like Him in ways that, that is not shared by other creatures at all. To fill the earth and subdue it. That, that other created beings are here to serve us. It's just impossible. And, and you know, in our day, not only, not only just impossible, but also speciesist, maybe. <laughs> to those who just know, they just know that we are nothing more than a physically declined really but mentally advanced animal what one writer explains listen to this this is just uh, an explanation the word special in, in quotes is merely the adjectival form of a species to be a species is to be special sure humans are special in their own way so is a cat, a mole, or a mouse. 
You may as well say a mouse is special in ways other animals, including humans, are not. Otherwise, we couldn't even tell if it was a member of a species by definition. So is man special? Yes, in his own way. <laughs> but a mouse is special too. That's a very egalitarian statement. Both mice and men are special in their own way. But we are right. We are right to suspect. If everything is special, nothing is. <laughs> if it seems impossible that God has made you truly special, or people, you know, if it seems impossible to them that they are a, that God has made them truly special, <laughs> then we can appeal to the author of life, of course. But because when the author says something, when he writes something, it actually happens, you can appeal to your own experience or the experience of others. Why do you have, why do you, as a human being, have a sense of right and wrong? Where does this moral sense come from? It came from the author. Romans 2 says... Where do you, where do you, why do you have a thirst for knowledge? This is true to anybody you talk to. Why do you have a thirst for knowledge? Why do you have an appreciation for beauty? Why, where, from whence comes this penchant, this human penchant for creating things? Creating things. Now we don't call things into existence the way God does, but we make things. <laughs> We take things that are already made, that already exist. We make it into into things. All of that came from the author, your maker, your creator. Psalm eight. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you, God, have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion. Over the works of your hands, you put all things under his feet. Skipping down, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It just seems impossible to many people, but it's possible with God. Third thing, that the entire, and it, seems, it truly seems unbelievable, impossible to people, that the entire creation, including mankind, fell into a ruinous state as a result of man's rebellion against God. You know, I, many, many people who believe that man is a mere animal, they, they sense something's right about this, that there's something wrong with us. We're a scourge on the planet. You know, we're, they're, they're, they, in a way, they're kind of in basic agreement with the biblical story because God agrees that man's dominion over the over the creation has been problematic man sinned against god he went his own way he thought he knew better he doubted god's goodness by his actions he denied that god's instructions were means of god's blessing and the bible says cursed is the ground because of you that's what god told the man and what did the what did the creation do to 
that it should fall under the reign of sin and death. Nothing. Nothing. There's someone else to blame. Here's Romans. The creation was subjected to futility. Here's Romans. It was put in bondage to corruption. It's all Romans 8, by the way. It groans in the pains of childbirth until now. And this impossible thing, that's something that seems impossible to so many, it, that something is not right with the whole world. Something's not right with the creation. Something's not right with man. That this fatal flaw, this, this terribly flawed world and universe we live in has to do with us. And, and, and even unbelievers often sense that, that there's something to that. Something wrong with us. Mark Twain, is, he's the one that said, man is the only animal that blushes or needs to. <laughs> I, I googled that uh, quote this week just to make sure I had it right. You know, I thought I remembered that Mark Twain said something like this, but I googled it. And the drop-down suggestions on the, on the Google, I just put man is the only animal. And the drop-down suggestion, here's some of them. Man is the only animal that consumes without producing. Man is the only animal that refuses to be what he is. Man is the only animal that kills for sport. Not a cat person, I probably think. <laughs> Who wrote that? Uh, but, but on and on it went like that. It's like there's something. You know, this is, just, this is not just a believer's thing. There's something wrong with people. <laughs> but here's what seems unbelievable to him, that that's something wrong with people caused the whole creation to fall under the domain of sin and death. The whole thing. <sighs> but it's true. <laughs> it's true. The entire creation, including man, fell into a ruinous state as a result of man's rebellion against God. Fourth thing, I'm going to hurry through these. It seems impossible. But God moved to rescue mankind and the creation from the curse of sin and death by becoming a man in time and in space, in other words, in history, at a particular time, in a particular place, that he might atone for the sins of mankind and overcome this curse of sin and death. Here's the story. You know, the story, and it's, it's written in history, but it's also written in the Bible. It's the Genesis 1 sets the plot, right? It sets the conflict. What's the turning point of the story? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's the turning point of the story. Something happens that turns the tide, that provides what was needed to resolve the conflict, and it's the incarnation of God in the person of Jesus Christ and the salvation that he accomplished. Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so we might receive adoption as sons. This is God's story. It's not worked out on a book. It's not worked out on a computer screen. It's, it's worked out in time and space, in the world, in history. God Himself became a part of His creation in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. You see how impossible that's, that seems? But it happened. 
a descendant of David according to God's promise, a, a child of a young virgin named Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born at a place called Bethlehem. That you can go to, you can see today, it's, it's still there. You know, it's not Bethlehem. It's not Narnia. It's not like Narnia. You know, it's not like, uh, it's not like the Shire. It's a, it's a real place. Now, the, the, the Savior, or God really became one of us in the person of Jesus Christ, and whose purpose in life was to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, to be our Passover Lamb. <coughs> Impossible, says say many. Some say things like, well, Jesus was a good man, he's a wonderful philosopher, he's a nice man who suffered the little children to come to him, he's a man man who showed us how to live. But the, tr the, the, the way, the truth, and the life, that seems a bridge too far. Jesus, by the way, will not allow that view of himself. He's a good man, he's a good philosopher, nice teacher, a kind person who, you know, let the little children come to him. He was that, but, is it, but just not merely that. He won't allow it. He insists that he is God's unique son. He insists that to see him is to see the Father. He insists that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but except through him. That seems impossible to people. Morally, and more than that, morally repugnant, you know, intolerant, uh, impossible and yet there it is there it is there's the life of Christ there he is forgiving sins there he is removing the effects of sin there's the empty tomb there's there are the resurrection appearances for you to see there's the failure of the Jewish authorities to even find to find a body to produce a body that would put a nip the whole thing in the bud there's there are thousands and thousands of Jews in the early months and years of the Christian faith turning away from from centuries of tradition to, to worship a new way to, to, because they're convinced that, that this Jesus is their Messiah that's been, that was promised to them, who was promised to them in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. There it is. There's, there's you know, the people who, there are people who, think, it's just impossible for that to have happened the way the Bible says the way the Christians say. And yet every time they write a check, every time they look at a calendar, they're, look, they're, they're seeing that, that this one's life divided history in two into before and after. Fifth thing, God offers the very righteousness of Christ, the resurrection, of the life, resurrection life of Christ to all who believe, not to the morally good, but to believing sinners. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. God's unmerited favor, grace, and salvation is obtained only through faith, through believing, through trusting. Not something that's earned, only something that's received as a gift. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It says, but now, but now. In other words, it's happened in history. But what is it? 
It's what is it? What's Paul say elsewhere about the about the response of the world? It's foolishness. It seems foolish. It seems crazy. Just believe. But it's true. It's true. Lastly, just one more to to take us to the to take us to the culmination of the story that hasn't happened yet. Sixth impossible thing to believe before lunch today, if you don't, that Jesus Christ will return to judge both the living and the dead and will establish his kingdom forever. When the high priest challenged Jesus on the eve of his crucifixion to, and to state, you know, tell us plainly, are you God's Messiah? Are you God's son? Uh, Jesus said, I am. And by the way, we won't unpack it, but there's a lot. <laughs> when he, Jesus says, I am, that brings to mind Moses and God, doesn't it? Moses encounter. I am, Jesus says, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. He says he's coming back. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And it says, uh, Philippians says, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even to subject all things to himself. That is impossible to believe to those who do not see God as the author of all things, <laughs> the author of our lives. But it's true. It's true. Peter says, Remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They say, It's impossible. <laughs> no, he's not coming back. He's not coming back, people will say. It just it seems like an impossible thing to believe. But we're in the story. A lot of it's already happened. A lot of it's already been fulfilled. We're past the turning point. The Messiah has already come. He's ascended into heaven, and we're waiting for him to come back, and he will. It's not impossible. Why? Because... Nothing is impossible with God. If God says it, if he writes it, if he declares it, it either has happened or is going to happen. And our hearts say, what, what, our hearts don't say, oh no, he's not coming back. Our hearts say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. You know, our, our God specializes. He, he glorifies himself with the apparently impossible. And so we place our, our, the big story of the faith is the, is the gospel. And we also know, because this is the way God is, this is the whole, the whole span of human history, is God doing apparently impossible things. And so, 
we not only place our faith in the big story, the gospel, but we also know that nothing is impossible in our own lives. So we pray... Well, let me suggest a few things before we go. For the stubbornly unbelieving family member who's outside of Christ, who we love. You know, you look at it without, without figuring God until you think, that ain't going to happen. They're so stubborn. They're so steeped in unbelief. Probably not. But then there's, but God, but God. Nothing shall be impossible with God. Uh, we, we, we pray for the marriage that is mired in relational habits, just of long standing that this is the way things work and, that, and it works to bring unhappiness rather than blessing. We pray for it. We ask God to fix it. Because nothing will be impossible with God. Uh, we, we pray for healing. For, for God to heal. Uh, when the doctors say it's impossible. We pray for strength to overcome, to, to face and overcome uh, just in the details of our lives when we know and may be apparent to others as well that we are clearly at the end of our own strength. We trust that God will sanctify us of even our besetting sins. And what we, you know, we pray for these things. Why? Because we know our little stories, our illness, you know, our marriage, our fa people in the family who won't come to Christ, won't come to faith, all these things. The what we're facing at work, what we're facing at school, all these hard, hard things that don't seem to have any answer. We know that our little stories fit in somewhere in his big story. Because <laughs> we're in the story. We're part of it. We're playing a role. We, we the big story is the gospel that saves where there's ruination, that gives life in the place of death, that uh, displaces sorrow with joy, and each of our lives and all the dramas within them, they're part of that story too. Nothing. It's time for lunch. It's time. Oh, I looked at it. got away from the clock. It's five after, sorry. It's time for lunch. But before lunch, it's time to believe. <laughs> it's time to believe. Uh, let, let's pray. Uh, Lord, give grace today to believe and believe more, to believe and believe more strongly, to believe in you, to believe in your sovereign goodness, to believe in your word, your promises, to believe in your son who came to save us from our sins. Uh, Lord, as you did for, for a woman in Acts named Lydia, open hearts to believe. Increase the faith of the believing here. Strengthen our weak faith. Enlarge our small faith perfect our imperfect faith even through our troubles that tempt us to doubt we pray and ask in the name of our living lord jesus christ amen, amen.